I appreciate this, the song Cody sang. As a matter of fact, I thought about as he was singing it in the first verse, it talks about um, when other helpers fail and comforts flee. And I, I thought about that ties really well into part of our message today. Where do we put our trust, folks? Because we, we can put our trust in other people, but there comes a point sometimes they flee. They're gone. They're not there to be helpful. Uh, we can put our, our, our trust in, in things that just don't help and yet there are things we look to for help, but where we need to put our trust is in God. And we're going to look at that uh, some today. So I appreciate that song. The, Cody got me on really early today, so we might get out of here early today. But uh, we uh, finished off our study in the book of Ecclesiastes last week. And uh, I, I hope that was a beneficial study for you. I, I enjoyed working my way through it, preparing the messages and letting them speak to my heart as well. And uh, so we've, But we finished that off last week. And so uh, we're going to be moving into a new study, not this week. So this week we're just filling in for a, for a message today. But um, <coughs> I think starting next week, we are probably going to go into uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Not 100% sure yet, but that's where I think we're heading next and in our, in our study. So, but today, if you have your Bible, what do you mean I just mentioned it? Yeah, starting next week, most likely. Oh, Ecclesia, I'm sorry, Ephesians, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to think, what am, what am I saying, okay, I got you now, yes, we just finished Ecclesiastes, going into most likely the book of Ephesians, starting next week, but today, thank you, my brain is dead sometimes, today we're in Psalm 25, so if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 25, I'm thinking, I know what book we're going into, and it's Ephesians, <laughs> okay, Sometimes the brain is not in the gear it should be. So anyway, we're in Psalm 25 today. And uh, this is a psalm of David. And, and, and it's a psalm, uh, nobody knows for sure when David wrote it, but most people believe he probably wrote it sometime during Absalom's rebellion. And, um, and, and, you know, I think about the time frame of Absalom's rebellion, and that, that had to be a terrible time for David. Because, because his own son wanted to kill him. I mean, that's what we were dealing with during that time frame. And David was on the run. And as David spent a lot of time on the run and running from Saul and, and things like that. And so we have, we have this, this, this time frame of his life that's a difficult uh, time. And um, as, as we jump right into the psalm, we see right away uh, David's thoughts as he, as he begins to speak to the Lord. And, and we're going to notice the first few verses of the psalm is, is a prayer. Uh, David's praying a prayer to God. And, but notice how he introduces it. He says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. So as David kind of jumps into this, now David is going to pray a prayer here, a prayer for protection, for guidance, and for grace. And these, these uh, ideas are going to be prevalent in the first few verses of this psalm. And, and, it, and it comes in the, in the form of a prayer in the first seven verses. But uh, it was Abraham Lincoln once that said this. He says, I have often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. <laughs> That's a pretty good quote. I have often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. And see, folks, the, the problem is that we run into many times in our life is when we get to the point that we feel like we have nowhere else to turn, many times we still don't turn to God. <laughs> 
And that's the problem. The problem is we probably should have turned to God in the first place, and we probably would have avoided some of the problems we have along the way. And, and, so, and, and so as Abraham Lincoln stated, listen, there are times in our life where we don't have any place else to go. And all we can do is, is go to God. That's all we can do. And folks, I've, I've been there in our life. We've been through enough things in our lifetime, in our married life, Joyce and I, over the years. We've been through enough things that there have been times in our life that there is no place to turn but to God because nothing else can take care of the situation. Nothing else can fix the problem but God. And that's where we need to learn to turn. We need to have the confidence that David has in this prayer as he begins. Notice, notice the fervency of this prayer. He says, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up what my soul, my soul. I, I, can, I can just almost feel, you know, David as, as he's praying this prayer that he's just, he's just pouring himself out before God. Everything that's in him is soul, and he's just laying it out there for God and, and, and saying, listen, uh, he, sa he says, I lift it up to you, Lord. I give it up to you. And, you know, that's exactly what later in the New Testament we're told to do, what we're told to cast our cares upon the Lord, right? The things that, are, the things that we're struggling with. The things that are bothering us. You know, I was talking to Nelson just before the service. We were, you know, talking about when his surgery is going to be. And we were just talking about how many people that we know right now that are dealing with cancer. And it's person after person after person. And where do we go with that? How do we deal with that? And, and the fact of the matter is, folks, I, I appreciate doctors that can go in and deal with, with health issues. And I, I'm very thankful that God has given us modern medicine through brilliant minds. And there's men and women that practice medicine that can go in and fix things. But we know that God is the ultimate physician. And we know that nobody is going to be healed of a disease apart from God allowing it to happen. And, and, and so as we... As we, as we Think about these folks and, and, and listen, you know, our hearts hurt for people that are going through difficult circumstances. And, and David, it just in his fervency, as he begins this entire psalm, he says, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And, and, and I think that's important. But not only is that important, I think it's important also to, for us to recognize the confidence that David has. Because the very next line is, oh, my God. I trust in thee. Right from the very start of this psalm. Now remember where David is. If, if he truly is, this was written during the rebellion of Absalom. He's, he's running for his life, basically. And, and he says what? He says, God, I trust you. I trust you. And folks, sometimes that's a hard place to get to in our life. Is it not? It's hard sometimes to trust God when the circumstances are not going the way we want them to go. It's pretty easy to trust God when everything's coming up roses. I mean, when everything's going wonderful in our life and we have no struggles, no problems, everybody's healthy, everybody's doing well, you know, it's easy to trust God then. But what happens when the troubles start? What happens when the doctor report isn't good? What happens when... The job goes away. What happens when you plug whatever in there you want to plug in there? Do we trust God in those times? David was confident 
in God. David, who we know was what? A man after God's own heart. But he wasn't the only one that expressed great confidence in God. Remember our study in the book of Job? Job 13 and verse 15. Note this confidence from Job, who had lost it all. And note what he says. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Incredible. Though he slay me. Job had lost everything. And by the world standards, everything he lost was a lot. He had a big family, big house, lots of flocks, lots of money. He was wealthy, and he lost it all. And then, of course, you know, his wife tells him after the thing with the boys, she said, just curse God and die. And, and what does Job say? He says, he says, though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. That's how confident he was in his trust. Now, folks, I really don't think that that level of confidence appeared after he had lost everything. I don't think so. I don't think that happens down in, down in the ditch when everything's going wrong. I think Job had that level of confidence way before he lost everything. And so when he did lose everything, he was still able to say, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. I'll trust him. And so before we get even into David's prayer at this point, just what David has already said would be great advice for our lives. What do we need to do when we're struggling with something? We need to pour our soul out to God. And where do we need to look for trust? We need to look to God. This is what we need to do. David's confidence, Job's confidence. 2 Samuel 22, 31 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. The buckler in the Bible was a small shield that was worn typically on the arm. It was a defensive weapon. It was a way to defend yourself. You could move it around. If, you know, somebody was getting ready to hit you in the chest, you'd put it up here. You know, you could defend yourself with that weapon, with the buckler. And what, is, what does the book of 2 Samuel tell us here? It tells us that God is a buckler. He is a defense. He is protection. That's what, that's what David's, David's about to pray for here. Notice, notice what he says now as we get into the prayer. He says this. He says, oh, my God, I trust in thee. He says, let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. So the first thing we see is in, the, in this prayer of David is a prayer for protection. A prayer for protection. And four aspects of this prayer. Number one, he says, help me not to be ashamed uh, before you and before my enemies. That's his first part of the prayer. Second of all, he says, keep my enemies from being victorious. Keep my enemies on the losing side. Number three, he says, help others that actively serve you not to be ashamed. So helping other folks not to be ashamed. And then number four, let evildoers suffer the shame. So he prays, 
Help me not to be ashamed before you are my enemies. Keep me on my enemies from victory. Help others not to be ashamed to actively serve you and let evildoers suffer for their, that shame. Now, the word shame here is not, or being ashamed is not the word we think of. We think of the word embarrass, right? Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let me be embarrassed in front of you. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what our modern language puts with that word. That is not what the word means in the original language. The word is not to be ashamed. The word is to be disappointed or confounded. So now let's look back at that prayer and understand it in light of the actual definition of the word used. Help me to not be disappointed before you. What is David saying is, I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm looking for your help, Lord. Help me not be disappointed in you. Help me not be disappointed because I didn't get the help I thought I was going to get. That's what his prayer is. Keep my enemies from victory and then help others not to be disappointed. Who what? Who actively serve you. That's what he's saying. He says, yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Help them not to be disappointed. Help them not to be confounded in the way. Help them to trust in you. And then he says this. But let the evildoers, let them be disappointed. <laughs> let them be disappointed with the end result of their life. What a crazy prayer for David to pray. I mean, just unbelievable how much trust David had in the Lord. And he says, listen, Lord, I, 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 just, I have this trust in you. And, and he says, I want you to, to help me help others that serve you. And I want you to take care of my enemies. What amazing thoughts that David prays as he enters this. So David's prayer is, first of all, for protection. But it doesn't stop at protection. Because let's read on. David's prayer is also about guidance. It's about guidance. He says, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. In thee do I wait all the day. What does David says? He says, show me. Thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Philip says this in his commentary. He says, many of us say we want to be led, but we don't really want God to show us his will. We simply want him to confirm our will. And folks, that's where we live a lot of times. We, we pray to God, God, lead me. But really, what I really want is I want God to put his, you know, you know, you go to the bank or whatever and they stamp something. We want God to put his little stamp on what we want to do, on our will. God, this is what my will is. Can you just stamp it accordingly? Can you just put your stamp of approval on it? That's not what David's praying here. David's, David's not praying for God to stamp his will. David's praying for God, you show me your way. I want to do it your way. I want to walk in your path. And that's what David's praying. So we must be careful that we don't take to ourselves that mentality that we just want God to put a stamp of approval on what we've come up with. Because, folks, I've come up with things in my life that weren't real bright when I got down the road and looked back. I'm sure all of us can think of things we did as kids that weren't real smart. They seemed smart at the time. But we get down the road a few years and we think, man, that was really dumb. I could have gotten killed. I could have gotten this. I could have gotten that, right? I mean, we think of things we did and we think at the time they seemed smart. And we get down the road and we realize that wasn't smart at all. That's because man doesn't think like God thinks. 
and man's ways are not God's ways. And so, so David understood that. So David's not saying, Lord, this is my plan. Put your stamp of approval on it. No, David's saying, Lord, teach me the path you want me on. Teach me the way you want me on. That's what David's saying. It's interesting, the word there for, for path is actually a word that, that, that refers to the, to the ruts of a wheel from like a chariot wheel or a wagon wheel that leaves ruts. It's a pathway that can be followed because the ruts are pushed into the ground and you can clearly see them. And, and that's what the word literally means that's there. And so David's praying, Lord, you know, show me the path, show me the route that I need to take. You know, I, I love that we live in a modern society when we're heading somewhere, we can tell our phone where we're wanting to go, and it gives us the route. Isn't that nice, folks? Are you old enough to remember having to unfold a map that was like two foot by two foot in your car and try to, try to juggle it, try to figure out which way you were heading, try to figure out what is that? I can't read it. It's so small. I mean, I remember those days trying to do that. I remember, when, I remember when I used to go back and forth to college, I, I carried in my car. I mean, I went to college 15 hours from where I lived. I carried a big, huge atlas, one of those big, huge, so I could follow the route to where I was going because that was the only way to get there. But, but now we have these wonderful devices in our phone that we just tell it where we want to go, and it, it gives us the route it lays it out clearly. Matter of fact, if you have a little bit more modern one, it, it even shows you when you're, as you're going down the highway which lane you should be in and when you should get in a different lane because you're getting ready to make a turn. Right? It's incredible and it's amazing. And it's usually very helpful. Now, that was created by man, so sometimes it can be faulty. Sometimes it can put you in some weird route or something like that. But for the most part, the navigation is very helpful. right? You go in some place you've never been before, it tells you even where, what lane to be in. It's wonderful. David is praying to God. He's saying, God, show me the lane. Show me the path. Show me where I should be walking. So by doing that, what is David also acknowledging? He's acknowledging the fact that his path is not the perfect path. David's path is not the perfect path. He's saying, God, show me your path. Yours is the path I want to be on. And folks, I'm, I'm just telling you, we need to think more like David. We need to think more like God, show me your path, not stamp your approval on my path. Because our paths can be faulty. David desired to know God's way. Psalm 143, verse 8, the second half of the verse says, Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. What a great thought. God, what a prayer, God. Show me the way I should walk. Where is the path for me? You know, we talk about one of the most important questions of life is why am I here? You know, that, that's one of the big, you know, when you're studying worldview, that's one of the big questions of life. Why am I here? Where, what, what does God have for me? What is his path for me? And, you know, God, God needs people in all different ways in this world. God needs, we need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian garbage men. We need Christian cafeteria workers. I mean, we need, God, we need to have Christians in all walks of life. So what I have to determine is, God, what is my path? What path am I supposed to be walking? 
Not the path I've created, because we can get in trouble with that, but the path that you want me on. And so David says, you know, Lord, show me your path. Teach me your way. Look at the, look at the passage in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, just want to turn over there for a second. Luke 1. Luke 1 and starting in verse 68. Luke 1 and starting in verse 68. Notice what it says. It says, uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by mouth of holy prophets, uh, which have been since the world begun, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from, uh, from on high have visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This was, this was at the birth of John the Baptist. This was John the Baptist's dad talking after that he, he had gotten his speech back. You remember the story? And, and he says, you know, he basically is telling John the Baptist that you're going you're gonna to go before him, uh, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. But then when he starts to describe Jesus Christ, notice what he says. He says to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, David is praying not just for protection, He's praying for that, but he's also praying for guidance, guidance from God in the way. God desires to lead us and guide us. You realize that, folks? God wants that. Jesus Christ is what? The good shepherd. He leads the sheep. That's what he wants to do. He wants to have that relationship with us. He's in his right place. The problem is when we're not in our right place. That's the problem. The problem is not that God is not there ready to guide us. He's there ready to guide us. The problem is when we don't want to be guided. We don't want to go the direction that somebody wants to guide us. That's where the problem comes in. You know, we've got, we've got Emmett at home, and he's, he's funny at home, and he's a joy. But, you know, sometimes he gets a mind of his own. He doesn't want to go the direction he's supposed to go. You know, he wants to run down the hall in our, our bedroom towards the shower and the toilet and all those kind of things when he doesn't belong down towards the shower and the toilet and those kind of things. And, and, and so as his granddad, I'm trying to be a guide and say, no, no, not that way. Come over here. And you know what? Sometimes he turns around and comes over to me. But sometimes he has a mind of his own. And he double times and keeps heading the wrong way. And I think that is just like us. It's just like God is there waiting to guide us, waiting to direct us, and we've got our mind set on something else, and so we just pick up the pace and keep going. We like, we like speed up. He'll do that. He'll watch Alyssa walk down the hall from our bedroom, and uh, he'll go down the hall from our bedroom while she's staying in our bedroom, and he looks back to see if she's looking, and if he sees her, then he just speeds up. He keeps going even faster. You know, that's because that's how our mind works. We, we want to do it our way. We've got our plans, the directions we want to go, but God's there waiting to be our guide. And that's what we need to understand. He, need, he is our 
protection. He is our guide. Psalm 31.3 says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Thou art the God of my salvation. See, folks, David's prayer is for protection. David's prayer is for guidance. And David's prayer is for, is for grace. Notice what he says. He says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. David says, Remember, Lord, your mercy and your loving kindness to me. Why? Well, we're going to see why in just a minute. But before we turn there, just slip over to 1 Peter for just a second. 1 Peter chapter 1, and starting in verse 3, it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with the fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom that though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. What a beautiful passage. The grace of God. David prays for God's grace. He says, God, don't forget your mercy for me. Don't forget your loving kindness for me. And it's actually interesting, the word tender mercies is, it literally is compassionate compassions. It's, it's a repetition that's used for intensity. And then he uses the plural of loving kindness. No, it says loving kindnesses. God is merciful, and God is gracious, and God is kind. And what's David praying for? Notice what he says. He says, remember, O Lord, thy tender mercy, loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. David's referring back to something. What is he referring back to? He's referring back to the covenant that God had with his people. That's what he's referring back to, Genesis 17. He's referring back there to, to a covenant of old that shows God's love for his people. And it's Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7. It says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art strangers, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What a beautiful thought. David says, Lord, just like you promised us back in the Old Testament, you showed us your love by entering into a covenant with us. And he says, don't forget your tender mercies. Don't forget your love for us. Why? Yeah, verse 7 tells us why. <laughs> Remember not the sins of my youth 
nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. David says, Lord, I, please remember, I'm praying for you to remember, show your grace on me by remembering your mercy, by remembering your loving kindness. And then, Lord, there's something I want you to forget. <laughs> he says, I want you to forget the sins of my youth. Oh, boy. There's probably several, but I know some of you in this room <laughs> that would pray that prayer and ask God to forget the sins of your youth. Because some of you are a little more wild in your youth than you are now. And I've known lots of people like that over the years. And truth be told, all of us did things in our youth that we would be ashamed of today. And David prays, Lord, forget the sins of my youth. Show your grace. But forget those things. Psalm 103, verse 12, what a beautiful verse. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. What an encouraging verse. Because David's prayer was actually something that takes place. God does remember his mercy. God does remember his loving kindness. And God does put our sin behind us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so David says, <coughs> remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. And then he says, uh, he goes back to the mercy part. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. And then he says this, uh, good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. It's great. David's talking in this prayer. He's talking about God's protection, his guidance, and his grace. And as we move into these last uh, four verses today, we see him continue on this thought of God's goodness and his guidance. And he says, he says that good and upright is the Lord. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God's goodness leads to repentance. We desire to be guided by God. That's what David's prayer is here. He's praying for this guidance. He's talked about guidance in the first few verses. He talks about it again here in verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth on such as keep his command testimonies. But notice what he says. If you want the guidance, you got to obey. That's what he says. It's a conditional promise. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. The verse doesn't stop there, folks. The verse says, unto such as keep the covenant, his covenant and his testimonies. In other words, unto those that obey his word. That's where the promise is fulfilled. It's fulfilled in obedience to God. See, some promises in the Bible, there's, there's nothing with them. We're just given a promise and that's all there is. But some promises in the Bible, we have a responsibility in them being able to be fulfilled. And this is one of those. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, but to enjoy that pathway, we have to obey God. We need to do what we're supposed to do. We need to follow his word. And so we have to ask ourselves this, because notice he says, the meek will he guide, and the meek will he teach his way. So I have to ask myself this, and each one of us needs to ask ourselves the same question. Do I have a teachable spirit? 
Is my spirit such that God can teach me his way? That God can teach me his truths? That God can teach me the path I'm supposed to walk on? Or am I puffed up with pride and arrogance where God can't really teach me? Because folks, we can do that to ourselves. We can puff ourselves up. God's sitting there ready to guide, ready to show us the path, and we never see the path because our spirit is not in the right place. Do I have a teachable spirit today? Am I willing to allow God to guide me and teach me? We, we often are good at, at, at desiring to learn something, but not off, as often willing to allow someone to guide us and teach us how to do it correctly. We aren't. It's in us. We want to do it our way. I want to take care of it myself. When Joyce and I were in Lancaster this week, we were at this old store that has all, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a hardware store, toy store, fabric store. It's, it's just a weird combination. But they had a, a whole aisle of model cars. I'm thinking, man, nobody makes model cars anymore. But <clears throat> I made a lot of model cars when I was a kid. And you know what? Inside those model cars, there was an instruction manual of how to put that car together. But you know, as a kid, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves, right? And we decide, I, I, I know how this engine goes together, so I'm just going to put these pieces on it. And then you get down to a, an instruction somewhere in the thing, and it says, now put this piece inside this piece, and it no longer fits because you already glued something else on it that wasn't supposed to be there yet. I lived that, folks. I've been there. I learned that the instructions are there for a reason. They're there to serve as a guide. But they have to be followed. The only way they're helpful is if you follow them. Well, folks, this book is our instruction manual for life. And the only way it's helpful is if we follow it. It doesn't do a bit of good sitting on your nightstand. It doesn't do a bit of good sitting on the shelf. It does a bit, do a bit of good in your hand coming to church. It does good when we read it and when we obey it. That's what we need to learn to do. That's what we need to learn to do. That's what this passage is trying to tell us. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep covenant and his testimony. And then I love how David ends this section. He says, for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. See, folks, I think David was a man after God's own heart. Because David could get humble enough to acknowledge his sin. <laughs> David looked in the mirror here, not literally, but he looked in the mirror and he said, oh my, there's a lot of sin here. There's a lot of things that I need God to forgive. I've got a lot of work to do in my life. I think that was what David was saying in that verse. He was saying, God, for your sake, please pardon my sin because it is great. When we look in the mirror, folks, do we see ourselves for who we really are? Do we see the sin that's there? And are we humble enough to acknowledge it and ask God to pardon it? Because I think often that's where we're not at. I think we don't give an honest evaluation of what we're seeing in the mirror. We, we, we see an image that's better than it really is or an image that we want to see, but we don't see ourselves for who we really are. 
I think David looked into the mirror of life and he said, pardon me, God, for your name's sake. Pardon my sin, for it is great. For it is great. Listen, this is a wonderful psalm. A psalm of protection, guidance, and grace. But we got to have ourselves in the right place. We got to desire to walk the path that God reveals to us, not our own path. And we have to be able to acknowledge with a humble spirit, meekness. We saw that word in there a couple times. Where I'm really at. Where is my life right now? What, what is the real picture in the mirror, if I'm being honest? That's what David had to do. <coughs> he had already prayed for God's protection, guidance, and grace. But then he looked in the mirror and he said, Whoa, this sin is great. This is what I need to deal with. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. <coughs> Just a simple passage out of Psalm 25. Man, there are some great truths in there. And listen, folks, right away, right from the very start, David shows us where our trust needs to be. Our trust needs to be in God. I have talked to enough of you in this room to know that there are many families in this room going through difficult times. Either you've lost a loved one, or you're dealing with health issues, or someone you love has lost a loved one, or there's a job situation, or there's a living arrangement. I mean, the list goes on and on. And many of you are hurting in this room. I understand that, and I, and I know that for a fact. But there is one place and one place only to go and to turn, and that is to God, to trust in him. And then part of that becomes, God, guide me, show me. What is the path for my life? Where should I be going in life? And then trust God enough to obey his word and let him do the guiding. Because he'll do it. He'll guide if we're willing. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Elizabeth just to play for a moment this morning. Maybe something spoke to your heart in the sermon today and you need to spend some time in prayer. The altar's open this morning. We wait just for a minute.